You're listening to the Wellspring Podcast. I'm Caleb Williams, the worship leader and prayer room coordinator of Wellspring Community. This week's message was given by Pastor David Williams. It's about the lifter of our heads. Though it may look like you may be surrounded in this season, the reality is the Lord is surrounding you with his goodness. Allow the Lord to be the lifter of your head in times of strife. Enjoy. Amen. So I want to share with you a very uh, real possible, very real historical context to this psalm today shared by Dr. Sam Storms. Absalom was David's third son. His second son, Kiliab, is never mentioned after reference to his birth. And the assumption is that he may have died early on in life. David's firstborn son was Amnon. The story of how Amnon died is a sordid one. Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar, and Absalom, Tamar's brother, swore revenge. It took two years, but finally Absalom arranged for Amnon to be killed. Fearing punishment, Absalom went into exile for three years. When he finally returned to Jerusalem, David refused to see him. Two more years passed before David and his son were reunited, even though, uh, it, although even then they, were, they weren't really reconciled. Absalom's plot to take the throne from his father probably emerged gradually. He began by currying favor with the people, and we can, you can read about this in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. He portrayed himself as one who was interested in people by telling them that he was far more capable of helping them with their troubles and securing justice for their complaints than David was. According to 2 Samuel 15, 6, it says that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And once he felt secure in his position, he made his move. He went to Hebron assembled his followers, and he had himself anointed king. You can see this in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 7-12. through 12. With a considerable army behind him, he marched against his father in Jerusalem and forced David to flee, verses 13-17. through 17. And following a shameful period of absence from his throne, the armies of David eventually prevailed, and Absalom was killed, contrary to his father, expressed wishes, serving only to intensify David's pain. Now, this is an unbelievable scene. I want you to think about it. David is driven from his throne, subjected to indescribable humiliation, not by a pagan Gentile king, but by his own son. Absalom's treachery and rebellion must have crushed David's heart. And, and here's the important point I want you to see today. It was while David was fleeing the armies of Absalom, broken by the spiteful betrayal of his own child, that he sat down and he wrote the words of Psalm 3. It wasn't while he sat on the golden throne with servants at his beck and call. It wasn't while lying on satin sheets in a soft pillow knowing that all was well with his family and among his people 
Rather, it was during his most devastating and desperate hours that he penned these incredible words. O oh Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. David's anguish was no doubt magnified by the fact that his adversaries were primarily from among his own people. Those once closest to him, those in whom he had once placed his confidence and trust, are now among those whose accusations are most bitter and hateful. You know, one of the primary tactics of such enemies is to undermine our faith in God to help us. David may well have been taunted with statements like, you know, if God is so good and so great, how come we've got the upper hand? Uh, how come you're on the run, David? Where is your God now when you need Him the most? Perhaps they began to throw David's sin back into his face. His relationship with Bathsheba, you might recall, the murder of Uriah, his failure as a father to Amnon and Absalom. How many parents live with the guilt and saying, well, where did I go wrong? God's not going to put up with that sort of thing, David. He's abandoned you for sure. Spurgeon once wrote that if all the trials from, uh, which come from heaven, all the temptations which ascend from hell, and all the crosses which arise from earth could be mixed and pressed together, they would not make a trial so terrible as that which is contained in this verse, verse 2. It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. Yet amid such affliction, accusation, and abandonment, David's cry is for the Lord. It's for the Lord. The covenant-keeping God. David obviously knew that the paralyzing power of the enemy is broken only by turning one's gaze before the Lord. Hallelujah. In the words of Moses to God's people before entering the land of promise, do not be in dread or afraid of them. He's talking about their enemies. The Lord your God who goes before you, He Himself will fight for you just as He did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. It's so easy for us. We forget so easily how the Lord carries us through past battles. He'll carry us through the future battles as well. So David encourages himself and us by recalling thing, three things about God that we can remain confident in this new year. First, God is a shield about him. Say, God is a shield. He's a shield for us. He's our shield. God is my shield. God, you're my shield. You're my shield. Interesting, there are many psalms that teach us that God is our shield. He's our protector. He's even our defender. But this language of God being our shield is very significant. I just want to highlight a few of these verses. Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock, 
my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. There it is, my shield. <laughs> he's my shield and the horn of my salvation, which means he's my strength. My stronghold. Verse 2 of Psalm 18. Verse 30 of Psalm 18. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. Interesting, the enemy will always try to get you to you know, come into disagreement or to doubt the word of the Lord. That's, that's one of his strategies. He will always do that. You can't depend upon the word of the Lord. That's going to be one of the things that He will always try to come at you with. The Lord is my strength. Uh, or uh, This God, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield. There it is. For all those who take refuge in Him. Psalm 28, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I'm helped. My heart exults. And with my song I give thanks to Him. Isn't that interesting? So worship and prayer are very significant pieces to experiencing the Lord's presence and to be surrounded like a force field, a shield in our life. That's why I think the house of prayer is so important. Because it's in the atmosphere of the house of, field, uh, house of prayer, it's like a place of shelter, it's like a force field Amen. against the enemy. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. Sometimes it may just mean shout a praise yes. in the midst of warfare. Help us, Lord, to fight our battles. Amen. Amen. Trusting in your word. Psalm 33, verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He's our help and He's our shield. You know, Abraham actually experienced God as his shield, his protector. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. I am the rewarder of, of you. I, I will reward you. You know, your reward shall be very great. Israel experiences God as their shield even on a national level. <laughs> He's our shield. <laughs> as a people. Deuteronomy 33:29. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. The shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. The Apostle Paul reminds us that one of the weapons of our warfare is called the shield of faith. That's what it's called. He teaches us in all circumstances, say in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. He's calling the church to surround each other, kind of like as a force field of faith to surround us. That's why we should pray for each other. Pray with each other, especially when we're going through a difficulty. Don't do it alone. That's not what he... You know, soldiers, they were only strong, not just simply by what they wore, but how they fought together. They came together in agreement. You know, some that say that uh, Roman sh uh, uh, soldiers, they had shields that were small, that they could carry individually, but they also had shields that were very big. They could literally cover nearly the whole human person so they would take their stand and then they, the, these other warriors could come along and lock their shields together. 
in the midst of uh, a fight, and then they multiply their strength against the force of the enemy. Isn't that something? And I mean, so in, in my prayer time, I was seeing like having a person on the front and having a person on the right and on the left and on the back side. And every one of us have shields. And so we're all covered. And we're covering each other. That's a picture of the body of Christ that I think He wants us to have in this new year. We don't fight alone. We don't endure our afflictions alone. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This is Ephesians 6.16. This actually may be a reference that Paul is reflecting on from Psalm 91 verse 4. Now I want to just suggest to you right now that I believe that Psalm 3.3 and Psalm 91 are also end time psalms. And I think that in the midst of this conflict, this battle that King David may have endured when this psalm was written is also we're going to see an increase in warfare as the day of the Lord draws closer and closer. We're already seeing it on several levels. So I just want to encourage you in the, in the Lord to embrace these psalms and, and really be praying these psalms. Just because you have a shield doesn't mean you won't be attacked by the enemy. Quite the contrary. This year, you and I are going to face opposition. We're going to face increase in hardship. Psalm 3, verses 1 and 2 is the reality of the many. He says it three times, the many, the many, the many. The much opposition that we may face. But we have resources of faith the enemy doesn't know of. <laughs> we have a shield of faith to protect us from his fiery arrows. In the words of Sam Storms, but the fact that God is a shield does not prevent one's enemies from continuing to shoot their arrows. Yet such an attack is fruitless in cutting us off from the security of God's love. Let us exercise our faith this new year, beloved, remaining confident in God's protection, His security, the security of His love for us, for our families, and for this house of prayer. Amen and for the house of prayer movement in the earth. A.W. Tozer once wrote, what we need very badly these days is a company of Christians who are prepared to trust God as completely now as they know they must do at the last day. It's going to increase in the end times. Our trust, we have to be confident in our trust of God. For each of us, the time is coming when we shall have nothing but God. Health and wealth and friends and hiding places will be swept away, and we shall have only God. To the man of pseudo faith, that is a terrifying thought, but to real faith, it's one of the most comforting thoughts the heart can entertain. We all know what it's like. To have friends that have failed us, or we have maybe even failed our friends. We know what it's like to endure hardship. Families let us down. We can trust in the Lord. We can remain confident in Him. The Lord is my shield. But the, the Lord is also my glory. 
God is His glory. This could mean that David awaits God's vindication. He's been driven away in shame, humiliation, weakness. His pride is broken. His reputation slandered. Still though, he's confident that God is going to restore his dignity and his honor as a king. Or it could be just simply his way of saying, you know, I have no glory of my own. I put no trust in my fame or fortune. You alone, O God, are the joy, the boast, the glory of my life. Perhaps what David is wanting us to see is that though we were surrounded by enemies seen and unseen, and the battle is very real and it's fierce, we are amply surrounded by the glory of God. Hallelujah. By the glory of God's presence. The Hebrew word kabod, which is translated glory, at its most basic level means heavy, but it denotes substance. Hallelujah. We need your glory, Lord. Actually, we're given the assurance of His glory. When? In the time of warfare. In the time of increasing conflict. Spiritual conflict. Real conflict. In the end times, Matthew chapter 24, it says that nation will clash with nation. Uh, kingdom against kingdom. Families will clash. You know, there will be rampant deception. All these things that this increase of wickedness and darkness. But the glory of the Lord will also shine brightly. Yes. Hallelujah. I believe this may be an invitation to fight our battles on our knees in prayer. Saturating ourselves in the atmosphere of worship and soaking in the Word of the Lord this new year. That's the exercise of faith, even when I don't see. I can't see. It was uh, Elijah and his, his young, uh, Elisha and his young apprentice. He's like, Lord, he knew something in the midst of battle. <laughs> Lord, let this young man see. How do we see the fact that we may be a, a surrounded by a wall of enemies, that we've got a wall of angelic activity, you know, that's way bigger than any enemy army? Lord, help us see. The weight of God's presence is for us a shield, but for the enemy, the weight of God's presence spells defeat. Wow! I want the glory! I'm going to run into the shelter of the Lord! <laughs> I want to get under His wings! I want the glory of the presence of God in my life! That's what happens to Pharaoh. In his army in the Red Sea, the Lord says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I'm going to get the glory over Pharaoh <laughs> and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Exodus 14. Verse 4, there's, there's this worship song you may know. It was written about five years ago that reminds us of how powerful the glory of God's presence is for us when we're surrounded on every side by forces seen and unseen. It's called, This is How I Fight My Battles. That's the name of the course. This is how I fight my battles. And the refrain, it just... Repeats over and over. Uh, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Hallelujah. 
In the thick of the battle, we're surrounded by the Lord's presence. His glory surrounds us like a shield. Lord, you're my shield. You're my glory. And you're the lifter of my head. Would you say that with me? You're the lifter of my head. God is the one who lifts his head. David left Jerusalem not only defeated, but dejected, despondent, and depressed. I mean, think about it. What's happening in his own personal life? He's lost everything, his family. I mean, it's, it's heart-wrenching to even imagine what is happening. He hung his head in shame, the Bible says. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 30. But he's confident that God is actually going to elevate his face and restore his hope. Dearly beloved, God is going to elevate your face and He's going to restore your hope this new year. Would you say that with me? God, you're going to restore my face. Elevate my face and you're going to restore my hope this new year. You know, when people are shy or unsure of themselves, perhaps due to some insecurity or recent failure, they rarely look up. They rarely make eye contact with you. Their aim is to pass by without being noticed. They hug the wall lest a personal encounter expose their shame. Their deep feelings of inadequacy lead to withdrawal and even silence. The last thing they want is to see or be seen. Fixing their eyes on the floor is safety for their soul. Embarrassment always expresses itself in a physical posture that is guarded and cautious. David was probably having doubts about his own personal self, about the validity of his calling, his capacity to rule, about his worth as a man. Absalom's treachery inflicted a depth of humiliation the human soul was never built to endure. It was emotionally crippling and threatened to destroy David's credibility and his confidence as a man after God's own heart. I have a feeling that some of you may know exactly how David may have felt. In your case, it may have been a stinging defeat or an embarrassing failure or perhaps a public humiliation that you fear has forever destroyed your usefulness or your value to God or your place in His kingdom purposes. It's a devastating feeling, isn't it? The enemy will often exploit the opportunity by reminding you of virtually every sin that you've committed, reinforcing the painful conviction that you're now beyond recovery, hopelessly helpless, a stain on the public face of the church. He's a liar. God is not finished with you and me yet. Don't ever forget it. It might even be the rebellion of a child in the case of King David. For some, it's the demise of a business venture into which you, uh, you've poured every ounce of your energy, your creativity, your income. Or it might be something less catastrophic, but no less painful, such as a failed attempt at public ministry or an embarrassing misstep that you left that left you feeling exposed and unprotected. In David's case, despite this crushing blow at the hands of his son, his faith in God never wavered. 
Or at least not to throw him into utter despair. There was always and only one who's able to restore his strength and strengthen his and straighten his body and give him reason to hold his head high. Now, beloved, listen, this isn't arrogance. This isn't presumption or fleshly defiance, but humble, wholehearted assurance that God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. People often say, I just can't bear to look anyone in the face after this. Beloved, God will make you able. He is the Lord, listen, who makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princesses and inherit a seat of honor. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Yes, indeed, said David, He will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Hallelujah. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Psalm 27, 5 and 6. Finally, it's important to remember that notwithstanding David's faith, Absalom died rebellious and estranged from his father. It's heartbreaking. Oh, my son, Absalom. My son, my son, Absalom. Would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. 2 Samuel 18.33 You know, sometimes our circumstances don't turn out for the better. But no matter what transpires for us in this new year, we may be sure of this. God is a shield about you. God is your glory. And God is the one who will lift your head. For Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, the glory and the lifter of my head.